0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: The following program contains adult content and sexual themes. Viewer discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People don't say you're going to go die and go to hell. At least I'm not blown. Down in
0: front of 911, where's your
1: emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. we pretty huh? For work. black to road. Send
0: the police. Send the police. And again, don't be a hero, mate. I said I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are coming. One in the chest, one in the hip by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogers.
1: I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. I, I would have nailed Carl with his hands to a commie tail and this just pulled it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little
0: cherub, cherub face, cherub face little boy whose life would
1: be... I'd harm someone each time I'd kill someone. There'd be an enormous amount of life especially at first, An enormous amount of, of, of horror and ill, guilt remorse afterwards, but then that impulse to do it again would come
0: back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black.
1: And I'm Tara Saraban. And
0: we do Bloody Murder.
1: We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia
0: and indeed around the globe.
1: What will you be covering this week, Barney?
0: I've got a prancing, dandy, teenage Irish bushranger who terrified country New South Wales in the 1830s until he didn't.
1: Until he didn't. Yeah. Did he terrify them with his Irish dancing?
0: Yes. Oh. Up.
1: <laughs> well, I'm scared. Oh,
0: he had a mouth on him, i got to tell you.
1: Potty mouth?
0: He had a potty mouth.
1: Mm, I think I might like this story. Yes.
0: How about you, Tara? What will you be covering?
1: I have a patron request from Christy Thompson. Now, she's from San Diego and she picked a local case. I'm going to read what she wrote about it. Ooh. Yeah. Cleophas Prince Jr., This asshole raped and killed six women in San Diego from January to September 1990. He was dubbed the Claremont Killer, as most of the attacks took place in or around a specific apartment complex in Claremont. I can remember how terrified women were that year. I was in high school, she says. So that would have been scary for her too. Mm. He would stalk the women and break in during the freaking day. The balls! This guy was truly a fucking nightmare. Wow. I got to tell you, uh, Christy is not wrong. He's a fucking nightmare.
0: Wow. I'm, I want to hear it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really scary. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. So you want to get murdery?
0: Yeah. Let's get murdery. Let's get murdery. Do it.
1: Cleophus Prince Jr. was born to Dorothy and Cleophis Sr. on July 24th, 1967 in Sweet Home, Alabama. It was a shotgun wedding and he was born just two months after they were married. He ended up being one of nine children.
0: So a bit of a portly wedding dress. Yeah, yeah. There expect. was a
1: little bit of tummy room. Mm. Less than two years after he was born, his father, Cleophas Senior, was sentenced to 40 years in prison for the shooting death of a man that he said had pulled a knife on him outside the grocery store where he worked as a butcher.
0: Maybe he was a knife salesman and he is a butcher, he would buy knives. Oh,
1: right, so he pulled a knife on him like, hey, would you like to buy this? Ah. Yeah.
0: Was that... It's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, know, maybe. Um,
1: <laughs> I don't know. I feel like 40 years is a little steep for that, but... um. After their father's arrest, Prince and his brothers and sisters were mostly raised by their grandparents in a run-down crime-ridden housing project in Birmingham.
0: Is that when he wrote the Raspberry Beret song?
1: Yeah. Oh, no, I know because I keep calling him Prince, right? When I was writing it, I kept picturing Prince doing all these despicable things as well.
0: Um, No, that was a despicable (laughs) thing. That's a terrible song.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't like that one either, actually. But he did do some awesome stuff. I don't want to, you know, frown on the purple one.
0: No. No, no no way,
1: don't do that. You you do not want to encounter the wrath of Prince fans. Oh, no. Usually preferring to play video games such as Pac-Man than stay in school or hold down a job, Prince surprised everyone by leaving Birmingham in 1987 and enlisting in the Navy. This was a decision that both his parents happily supported. He trained at the Great Lakes Naval Training Centre near Chicago and then was assigned to Miramar Naval Air Station in San Diego where he worked as a mechanic. But petty crime was his side job, for Prince was a prolific and expert burglar and being in the Navy didn't diminish his urge to steal. Court-martialed in October 1989, he served a small amount of time in military jail for larceny and was discharged in December. Several weeks later, he moved into the Buena Vista Gardens apartment complex in Claremont, San Diego with his girlfriend Charla Lewis. It's believed getting kicked out of the Navy was a stressing factor for Prince, as less than a month later, he would graduate from burglary to the ultimate crime.
0: Fighting in an elevator.
1: Um, well, that's bad, but I wouldn't say it's the ultimate crime.
0: Uh, well, that can be stinky.
1: You've done it, haven't you?
0: I've owned up for one.
1: That you didn't do? Yeah. Why would you do that?
0: I don't know. Everyone was very <laughs> surprised, including the person who did it.
1: Well, yeah, that was a perfect I, crime.
0: I, I did. I made someone's day.
1: Yes, yeah, I guess you did. You're kind of a saint, really, aren't
0: you? I, I am.
1: No, I was talking about murder.
0: Oh, yeah, that's pretty bad too. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's not the bloody farting podcast, is it? No. Although I'm sure some people, they're turning off now and writing the review. Yeah, too bloody much, farting. Yeah,
0: too much talk about
1: farts. Yeah, oh, the girl one swears so much. The guy one swears, but that's okay. Because um, he's man swearing. Prince wasn't very tall. Which is true. And this guy wasn't either. Um he was five foot six, which is taller than the real prince. Um and he worked out very often. So he was like a super buff little guy.
0: Someone's gotta tell short men that if they get really muscly it doesn't make them look taller, it makes them look even shorter.
1: Okay, well I'm clearly not the person for that job because I'm six one well, and I... it would just seem patronizing coming from me.
0: Well I think I just told them.
1: Oh right It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, if you get like, you know, Bit of biffo from a whole gang of short little nuggety dudes. We're going to know why, right? I'll
0: just say, oh, yeah, I did say that, but not on you. You look great. Yeah,
1: you've actually... I take it back. Yeah. Uh, Now, Prince is black, and I say that because all of his victims were white women, which makes him very unusual as most serial killers murder people of the same race.
0: Yeah, that's not typical, is it?
1: No, it isn't. A stone-cold predator, he enjoyed stalking his victims, many of whom went to the same gym as him, which was located in his apartment complex. You know the phrase, don't shit where you eat?
0: Yeah, I have heard that.
1: Yeah, well, Prince clearly had never heard of it. He would often follow the women home from the gym or pool and break into their houses while they were showering, assuming that they'd be more defenceless under these circumstances. So he, he killed quite a few women that lived in the same apartment complex as him. Wow. Also, he really he loved that shower thing. It's like he watched Psycho, saw the shower scene, and thought to himself, this is for me. Yeah, I wow. gotta get me some of that.
0: What an unusual epiphany!
1: Oh, also, how terrifying for the poor women he attacked.
0: Yeah, that's a like a nightmare, isn't it? Big really? time. You
1: know, my mum hasn't showered at night since like 1952. Really? <laughs> yeah, but this was all, all of these happened in broad daylight, so even the people trying to avoid the whole psycho nighttime shower thing weren't able to.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Twenty-one-year-old Tiffany Schultz was an intelligent young woman who loved reading Kurt Vonnegut. I like reading him too. I do too. She wanted to be an English professor and was working toward a degree at San Diego State University. To support herself while studying, she was working as a dancer at Lay Girls. Tiffany was sunbathing in a bikini on the balcony of her second floor Canyon Ridge apartment at about 10am on January 12th, 1990, when she caught Prince's eye. Although, it's likely he'd been watching her for some time.
0: Yeah, creepy.
1: Oh, it's just horror. The Canyon Ridge Apartment Complex was across the street from the Buena Vista Gardens Apartment Complex and shared the same gym and pool, which Tiffany's apartment overlooked. Okay. So she talked to a friend on the phone from 10am till 10.30am, but phone calls placed to her after this went unanswered. Dorothy Curtis, the manager of the Canyon Ridge Apartment Complex, said Prince approached her in front of her office at approximately 10.30am and asked her for a wire coat hanger, because he wanted to infuriate Joan Crawford.
0: Well, that'd do it.
1: It would. No, actually, um, he said that he'd locked his keys in his car and needed to break into it. Now, when Dorothy gave him the hanger, Prince walked toward the apartments rather than the street where he said his car was parked, which Dorothy found odd but soon forgot about. Mm. The neighbours who lived below Tiffany said they heard loud sounds coming from her apartment at around 11am. They said it sounded like someone was being beaten and they also heard running water. Did they call the cops? Absolutely. No. Nope.
0: Yeah, oh no. Mm.
1: Tiffany's roommate discovered her body in her bedroom. Her corpse had been posed with the arms and legs spread, which was a kink Prince indulged in with most of his victims. It appeared there'd been a struggle, and Tiffany had fought back against her attacker hard. She was wearing only bikini bottoms, one leg was smeared with blood, and there was blood dripped on her crotch. Dripping blood from a knife onto the crotches of his victims was another kink Prince got off on.
0: Yeah, this guy's really creepy and sick, isn't he?
1: He's a nightmare. A short, muscly nightmare. Tiffany had been stabbed at least 47 times with a knife from her own kitchen. The wounds were deep, some passing all the way through her body. She also had a lot of defensive wounds. Her mouth was bruised, and her face had suffered blunt trauma like he'd hit her with something. The fatal knife wounds were inflicted in a circular pattern on her left breast, yet another part of Prince's sick MO. The bathtub was wet and there was a damp towel nearby, implying that she'd been showering at the time. Fortunately, there was no evidence of a sexual assault in this case.
0: Probably because she fought pretty hard, maybe?
1: Yeah, 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 I think he wasn't expecting uh, her to put up such a fight. Yeah, right. There was also no sign of forced entry. The interior and exterior doorknobs of the door leading to the room where Tiffany's body was discovered had bloody marks in a crosshatch pattern. It appeared that the attacker had departed via the patio, dropping from the second-floor balcony to the ground.
0: But he got in through the front door?
1: No. Um, well, okay, he's really good at picking locks, as long as something isn't deadlocked or chained. Uh, he's also good at finding windows that are open. Okay. Tiffany's live-in boyfriend was arrested for her murder, but he was released after a few days. Still, I mean, your girlfriend's been killed and you're the one in jail.
0: Ah, oh, they're just due, due diligence from the police, I expect. Um, yeah, I bet, they, I bet they grilled him.
1: Oh, well, they always have to. Yeah, they do. Janine Weinhold was an independent 21-year-old straight A student at UC San Diego who was studying law. She shared a second-story apartment in the Buena Vista Gardens with a roommate. Weinhold drove her roommate to work at 9am on February 16th, 1990, telling her that she planned to return home to do homework and laundry and bake some cookies. Weinhold planned to pick up her roommate at 2pm, but she didn't show up, which was very uncharacteristic for her. Phone calls made to Weinhold's apartment from 2.30pm onward went unanswered. Weinhold's body was discovered when her roommate returned home that evening at 8pm. The front door was locked, and again, there was no sign of forced entry. A knife belonging to the occupants of the apartment was found in the sink. It had a bent tip and was covered in blood. Weinhold's body was discovered in her bedroom, posed like Tiffany's had been. A shirt, pants and underwear were nearby, and she was wearing only a bra. There were at least 22 stab wounds to her body mostly in the upper left chest area. They were deep and some had penetrated the breastbone and ribs. The wounds had been administered with monstrous force and some of them were defensive in nature. There was a blood stain in a crosshatch pattern on a doorjamb. Seminal fluid was present in Weinhold's body, as well as on a tracksuit, a bedspread and the carpet. DNA testing would later prove it was Prince's. In April 1990, Prince told his friends Robin and Tony Romo that he had gone on a date with a woman and that when they arrived home, he'd raped her. Well, that's a fun little story to tell your friends, isn't it?
0: So he told his housemates this?
1: Um, no, it's just some friends. Oh, wh- um, lovely. Yeah, isn't that good? Um, he said that when he was finished, the victim was weeping, so he went back and did it again. Yeah. Maybe this is how he big notes himself. Oof. Uh, he also bragged to a coworker that he was banging a woman named Janine who worked out at the same gym as him. He has this way of sort of like incorporating the women that he rapes and murders into his fantasy life and bragging about like mm. how he dates them or, well, rapes them sometimes, well, I guess.
0: imaginary relationships.
1: Yeah, and they're horrible too. Ugh. It's just like, God, use your imagination for good instead of evil. Raymond Huntley, a jailhouse informant, reported several conversations with Prince um, that they had after he was arrested. During one, he said, he didn't have nothing for no white bitches. The two men also bonded by talking about how much they enjoyed abusing women. Prince said that he really dug stalking women, and once he selected one, he loved playing with his victims, letting them believe they might be able to escape before stabbing them to death. Prince also told Huntley that he got mega thrills from watching blood drip down the blade of a knife onto the victim's crotch. Anna Cotalesa Ritchie was a young woman who also lived in the apartment complex. She reported that in March 1990, she'd gone out to a nearby shop and had seen Prince at a bus stop on her way to the store, but he wasn't there when she returned. As she neared her apartment, she saw him coming toward her. He stared at her as they crossed paths and she felt incredibly spooked. She was at the door of her apartment trying to insert the key into the lock when she saw Prince was at the bottom of the stairs staring at her. He bent down as if he was going to tie his shoes, although they were already tied. She got inside her apartment and locked the door as fast as she possibly could. Wow. Yeah, she was really lucky. Holly Tar, Not so much.
0: Well, no. Something bad's going to happen to Holly Tar, isn't it? It is. Yeah.
1: Holly was an 18-year-old high school graduate from Michigan who played the violin and dreamt of becoming an actress. She and her BFF Tammy Ho were visiting her brother Richard at the Buena Vista Gardens apartments during spring break. On April 3, 1990, the two girls played tennis and then went to the pool area of the complex at 11am. Tammy Ho noticed that Prince was working out in the adjoining gym. At around midday, Holly returned to the apartment alone, intending to shower. Tammy said that she'd be in to join her soon and asked her to leave the door unlocked. 10 minutes later, Tammy approached the apartment and thought that she heard a scream. To her surprise, the door of the apartment was locked. Tammy heard the phone ringing, but no one answered it. She knocked repeatedly and called out Holly's name. A neighbor had called the apartment manager, reporting hearing a struggle in the apartment, and 10 minutes later, a maintenance worker arrived. The door was chained shut, so he had to break the chain to enter. Tammy ran into the apartment and saw a man come out of the bedroom and run toward her holding a long knife. His face was covered with a white cloth. The man wore a red T-shirt and had black skin. Tammy fell onto a couch as he ran past her through the front door. She then discovered Holly gasping for breath. Holly's opal ring that she always wore was gone. The log for the day at the apartment complex Jim showed, in order of arrival, Holly Tar, Tammy Ho and C. Prince. And I think we all know by now what the C stands for, right?
0: Cecil? Mm -mm.
1: Holly's body lay on the floor of one of the bedrooms in the apartment, posed like the other women. She wore a bra and underwear and had a towel on her chest. There was no sign of forced entry yet again. Blood was on the stairwell and in numerous places in the apartment. A shoe print later matched the size and design of Prince's Nike Air Jordans. A bloody knife and a T-shirt were found near the footpath and the parking area. The blood was identified as Holly's and the knife was from her apartment. Holly died of a single stab wound seven inches deep that penetrated her heart. So he didn't even get to do the whole routine, but just he, the, he got one in that, that, did, that killed her.
0: I can't believe he signed in on his own name. with his Well, he name. lives
1: there. He's always at that gym stalking the young ladies. There was blood on Holly's bra and on her underwear in the pubic area. Up until this point, the authorities had assumed the murderer was a white man, but now they had two witnesses who said that he was black. Kind of changed everything, because, you know, white victims, they're assuming white murderer. That's right. Residents of the area were terrified and on high alert, as they suspected that they had a serial killer on their hands.
0: Well, they did.
1: Well, yeah, they did. At that point, they didn't really know, but they were like, shit. When interviewed the day after the murder, Prince told the police that he'd been at the pool the previous day until noon, when he returned to his apartment and he stayed there until he left for work at 1.50pm. He also refused the police's request to go to the station for fingerprinting.
0: That's a pretty shitty alibi. And also, red flag.
1: Big red flag. Come on. Mm Mm-hmm. When the police later searched the home of Prince's girlfriend, Charla Lewis, they discovered Holly's opal ring. The ring was one of only 63 that had been manufactured, none of them having been sold further west than Michigan. Lewis later testified that Prince gave her the ring for Christmas that year.
0: So he's already been arrested for burglaries and stuff, right? No. Well, larceny? Oh, sorry,
1: okay, larceny when he was in the Navy, but not like civilian stuff, no.
0: So that his fingerprints wouldn't have been in the system? No. Okay,
1: because the heat was on at the Buena Vista apartments and there were cops patrolling everywhere, Prince decided to move nearby in early May. So he's still in San Diego, though. 38 year old Alyssa Keller lived with her 18 year old daughter in a place very close to Prince's new apartment at the top of the hill complex. Late in the evening of May 20th, 1990, Keller spoke to her daughter on the phone. She was away for the weekend, which was very lucky for her. Oh. On May 21st, 1990, Keller didn't show up at work at 9 a.m., which was highly unusual. She didn't come into work later that day or answer the phone calls that her work made to try and reach her. Keller's daughter arrived home at 11:30 p.m. that night. The deadbolt on the door was unlocked, which was weird, and the chain was off the hook. She went to her bedroom where she discovered her mother's body lying on the floor with a blanket covering her torso. Well, that's got to be one of the most fucked up things that can happen to a person.
0: Oh, it's probably the worst moment in her life.
1: Well, I ho- you know what? I hope it is. I hope she hasn't had anything worse than that happen. Yeah. Keller was wearing only a tank top and her bloody underwear lay inside out and close to the body. There were nine deep stab wounds in her chest, along with some defensive wounds. There was blood smeared on her arms and legs. It appeared that she may have been punched in the face and choked as well. Prince's point of entry was a partially open window – Shoe prints on the sill and on a nearby stereo later matched Prince's Nike Air Jordans and were similar to those found at the scene of Holly's murder. Well, they were the same, actually. A criminal has testified that gloves such as the one used by Prince at his place of employment between January and August 1990 and eventually found in the trunk of his vehicle, um, he said that they were the ones that left the bloody marks that are found on the bathroom counter. The gloves bore a distinctive crosshatch pattern, which were present at the scenes of some of the other murders he committed as well. Ew. Yeah, well, apparently, sometimes for burglaries and things, he used to put socks on his hands. And I don't know why, but there's something about the image of that just creeps me out almost as much as any of this does. Well,
0: that's come up in a lot of um, crimes that we've researched
1: sock hands.
0: Sock hands. Maybe it's Demonic because. Demonic sock hands. Look, if you get pulled over by the police and you've got a pair of socks in your pocket.
1: Well, yeah, they can't necessarily be like. Well, well, there's well
0: you're up to no good.
1: Well, if you're wearing them on your hands, though, it's a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> I guess you could wear the gloves on your feet until you were about to commit the crime.
0: On your walking hands.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't really think that through, did I?
0: And your grabbing feet.
1: I like, really, I really didn't think that through. Because the police didn't realise that Prince had moved, they didn't initially think that Elisa was one of his victims due to the location of the crime scene. Now, her gold nugget ring was missing, and Prince was later seen wearing it. The ring was eventually stolen from Prince, but ultimately was traced to him during the murder investigation. It's actually a ring that her 18-year-old daughter used to wear, but she found that it scratched her finger, so she gave it to her mum, and it didn't scratch her finger, so she, like, wore it all the time. Michael Barry was a friend of Prince's when they both lived at the top of the hill apartments. Prince had a large stash of jewellery and he told Barry that he had got it off the girls that he had slept with. I guess because women love giving away their jewellery after sex?
0: Oh, wow. Hey, darling, that was fantastic. Here, have my jewellery.
1: Yeah, that's just not a thing. No, Let me tell you, it's not a thing. Uh, He also showed Bari how to break into an apartment by using a Blockbuster Video Store card, saying that as long as the door doesn't have a deadbolt, he can get into any apartment. Look, it's somewhat good to know that Blockbuster Video cards are good for something, but this is not a very comforting thought.
0: No, it's not.
1: No, it's not. At 8 a.m. on September 13, 1990, Pamela Clark left her house in the University City area of San Diego to go to work out at the Family Fitness Center on Miramar Road, as she did most mornings. The 42-year-old was very fit and was only a year away from earning a master's degree in counselling. Pamela was well-loved by everyone who knew her, a very caring, generous, loving woman who had created a really wonderful relationship with her daughter Amber, a family friend said. When Pamela's husband left home at 8.30am, her 18-year-old daughter Amber, who'd just started her first year at Mesa College studying counselling, was still asleep. At approximately 10am, neighbours heard Amber speaking or arguing with someone inside the house. One neighbour heard Amber call out as if frightened and also heard a male voice, but the neighbour didn't think anything serious was going on, so they did nothing. Pamela, who was a massage therapist, did not show up for work at 11am, even though she had an appointment, uh, and no one answered the phone at the clerk's when the when the office tried calling her.
0: That's her mother, right? Yep. yep.
1: A colleague of Pamela's discovered her body in the entryway of the home. She was lying on her back, naked, and her body had been posed. Um, I accidentally saw these pictures online when I was just researching articles. Yeah, it's really horrible. Um, So just be careful if you're researching anything about this because there's a lot of crime scene photos out there. Um, Yeah, it was really bad. Uh, She had suffered 11 deep stab wounds to the upper left chest and there was evidence indicating that she'd been dragged to that location and there was a large bloody knife that lay near her head. Her daughter Amber's body lay on the floor, partly in a hallway and partly in a bedroom.
0: Oh, Prince got them both.
1: Yeah, he got them both. Um, it's thought that he actually um, got Amber first, and then when Pamela came home, he got her, just like logistically and how he did this. Yeah, right. Um, so Amber was, was clothed, but her top had been pulled down to expose her breasts. Like her mother, she'd suffered 11 deep stab wounds to her upper chest. Blood was smeared on her body and a knife blade lay on the floor in the bathroom. Pamela Clark's purse was found on her bed, but all the money had been taken out. Her wedding ring was also missing. Prince had entered the home through a partially opened dining room window from which a screen had been removed. Shoe prints outside led back and forth under the window and Prince's shoes later matched the shoe prints found there. Prince had chucked a sickie that day and cancelled work. Um, I guess he was like, well, you know... When you manage to do a double murder, you've got no time for work, I guess. Look,
0: I've raped and killed two women today. I don't think I'll be able to come in tonight. Yeah,
1: I'm a bit tired and excited. (sighs) Aww. Hmm. Two people who lived with Prince after these murders testified that he'd been in possession of Pamela Clark's wedding ring and wore it on a chain around his neck as a souvenir.
0: So she was just about to she was just about to finish her, her BA in um, counseling. Imagine all the good that Pamela Pamela Clark is that her name?
1: Yeah, Pamela could have, Clark
0: could have done in um, the world absolutely.
1: And, she was actually it was her um, master's degree,
0: master's degree, and yeah. her daughter was studying counseling. Yeah, as yeah, well. like
1: her mum. Yeah, these were people who were walk- like working towards um, contributing to society in a positive way. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, I know. A few co-workers of Prince's later testified that he told them during the summer of 1990 that he was dating an older white massage therapist with a bangin' body and that he was doing both a the massage therapist and her attractive teenage daughter.
0: Oh, this guy's disgusting.
1: Yeah, yeah. He really likes to boast about dating women that he's raped and killed.
0: Ugh, that's horrible.
1: Mm-hmm. He also offered to sell all of them jewellery because that doesn't sound like something a dodgy person would do at all. It's probably the least dodgy thing he's ever done, but still sounds really dodgy to me. On February 3rd, 1991, Geraldine Peters returned home to her apartment after her usual morning workout. Now, she also worked out at the Family Fitness Centre on Miramar Road. Okay, so he's kind of changed gyms at this point in terms of where he's stalking the women from. He's not stalking them from the Buena Vista Apartment Complex gym.
0: Because he's moved up the road. He's
1: moved up the road and he's now stalking them from this gym. Wow. Uh, So she got undressed and turned on the shower because she'd just worked out and she was about to have a shower. But before she got in, uh, she heard her front doorknob rattling. Oh. Yeah, she peered out and she saw Prince leaning against the door and fiddling with the doorknob. She was terrified that he was going to break into her apartment like any second, like right this second, as she looks at him naked, like standing there so she quickly threw on some clothes and ran out a sliding glass door toward the back of the complex she yelled for help and her neighbor jeffrey heard and came to her aid when geraldine and jeffrey walked to the front of her apartment they saw a prince still standing at the door bent over trying to pick the lock
0: oh the balls on this guy i know
1: it's broad daylight uh, he was wearing gloves um again now when they asked him what he was doing prince made up some bullshit story about looking for his fiancée who he thought had gone in there and that's why he's picking a lock.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard they called the cops.
1: Well, yeah, he walked away from the door calling out a woman's name. Maybe she's over here. Uh, so Jeffrey walked down the street after him and watched him speed off in a silver car with a loud, unhealthy-sounding muffler. Geraldine's fiancée, Mark, arrived home and also saw Prince get into an older silver-coloured car and drive away noisily at high speed. The next day, Geraldine, who happened to work in the same building as Prince's girlfriend, Charla Lewis, saw Prince drop her off at work. She was like, the hell? That's the guy. A police officer took statements from Geraldine, her fiancé and their neighbour, and went to the family fitness centre on Miramar Road with a description of the car and the suspect. The officer asked fitness centre employees to call the police if they saw Prince or the vehicle. The next morning, the fitness centre's front desk manager saw him and called the cops. Law enforcement officers arrived 15 minutes later and arrested Prince as he sat in his car. Now, a search of the car revealed a knife with an 8 inch blade, a folding knife with a -a 2.5 inch blade a steak knife, and a folding pocket knife, as well as a pair of black leather gloves with the crosshatch pattern on
0: it. And Prince is not a knife salesman. He no. would have no reason to have so many Why knives Why would in you his need car. that
1: many knives, Prince? Yes. Now, he was released, though, after providing the police with blood and saliva samples. I'm really not sure how that works. Why mm. would I... Mm. He then fled to Alabama in an effort to escape charges. When the tests proved that it was Prince's DNA that they'd found at the scene of Janine Weinhold's murder, they went to Alabama and arrested his ass on March first,
0: nineteen
1: ninety-one. Good. I know, I know. Like you just go. Oh, thank you for fuck. The details of the Weinhold murder connected Prince to the other five murders he'd committed. And they finally had the bastard.
0: Oh, they should have got him after that first murder.
1: I think they should have got him sooner, ideally, as well. I mean, he was ballsy as hell. He wasn't being very secretive. On July 15th, 1993, Prince was found guilty on all six counts of first-degree murder and 21 other felony charges and was given the death penalty. Prince claimed he was innocent and even said in court that he wept for the families of those poor dead women.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure he accidentally wrote raspberry beret.
1: Yeah, oh no, he tried appealing the decision, claiming lack of evidence in some of the murders, and saying that the media had biased his trial. But his appeals were denied, and he's still on death row in Saint Quentin. Twenty-five years later. Wow. I know. When are they going to kill the bastard?
0: Well, look, you know how I I feel about the death penalty, but I'm sure he's not having fun on. Well, I hope he's not having fun.
1: I guess there's not a lot for him to steal. It's not a lot of white ladies for him to, you know, attack.
0: Still, that's a lot of uh, American taxpayer money put towards those appeals.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: hundreds and thousands of dollars.
1: Yep. Oh, man. So what a terrifying case. Man, my house was locked up like Fort Knox while I was writing this. I was just like, oh, hang on. Does the dog need to go wee? All right. You better be back in a second, girl, because that door is shutting and getting locked.
0: Oh, it's every woman's nightmare, I could imagine Oh,
1: yeah. it's terrifying, it's terrifying yeah. yeah, yeah, you kind of look around you differently with this one You're just oh. like, oh, okay, 10am, that could be a time
0: And that was for Christy?
1: That was for Christy, thanks Christy That was um, definitely an interesting one
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that, Christy Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if enjoy's is the right word Yeah, <laughs> I hope
0: that intrigued you
1: Yeah, I hope, um, I, hope I, I did it justice for you
0: You. So Barney Yes Tara
1: My case was pretty serious and dark I mean, A bit of a dick punch really
0: Yeah uh, mine's not like that
1: <gasps> That's what I thought So how about we uh, have some fun huh
0: Okay John Bold Jack Donoghue Donoghue Was born <laughs> an orphan in Dublin Ireland in about 1806
1: Well hold up a second How can you be born an orphan
0: He just was He His mother was a potato
1: well, she can't have been a potato and she was probably, like, somewhat alive.
0: Maybe she was a young mother and she abandoned him. I don't know. Okay. It's not in the records. Born an orphan. Born an orphan.
1: All right, let's go with that.
0: All right, then. As a teen, he was in trouble with the police for his loud, obnoxious nature and his political activities to gain independence for Ireland.
1: Oh, yeah, they didn't like that. Yeah. In
0: 1824, he was found guilty of intent to commit a felony. This meant he was going to get up to some mischief, but had not yet done it yet. Oh, <laughs> well, that
1: must have been disappointing.
0: One of his pals had dogged on him.
1: Ugh, not cool, ma'am.
0: Not cool. Though it may have been him who was mentioned in the Dublin Evening newspaper in February uh, 1824 as being committed for attempting to steal
1: pigs. <gasps> oh, maybe he wanted to keep them as pets.
0: I love pigs.
1: Oh, pigs are so cool. You've always wanted to have a pig.
0: I, I I have, actually. They can find truffles and stuff.
1: Also, I think my dog Pop would be very good friends with a piglet.
0: Oh, I'd love to be able to be walk a pig around Brunswick.
1: You could be the pig man of Brunswick. I
0: could. He was transferred from Dublin to Cork, where he was incarcerated in the Surprise Hulk. <laughs>
1: Surprise Hulk. <laughs> Surprise. Nobody expects the Surprise Hulk.
0: So he was transferred to the Surprise Hulk to await transportation.
1: Oh.
0: Now, prison hulks were decommissioned ships that authorities used as floating prisons in the 18th and 19th centuries. They were the bomb in England, Tara. Really? Very popular. I guess
1: they didn't have enough land to put all their like supposed criminals on because they got done for things like stealing a loaf of bread, right?
0: That's right. They were very popular in France as well.
1: Well, Nobody steals my baguette.
0: So, converting the ships to prison hulks involved the removal of riggings, masts, rudders and various other features required for sailing. Surprise was a thirty-eight gun (laughs) frigate, previously named the HMS Jacobs. The surprise carried around 1,900 convicts below its stinky decks.
1: Yeah, so basically they turned a ship into a container for prisoners.
0: Yeah, a floating prison.
1: With not enough air, probably.
0: Oh, they were awful places. It
1: sounds dank.
0: Yeah, yeah, there, was, there, there, were, there were dozens of them in England at the time and Ireland, obviously.
1: That's scary. I don't want to go to one of those.
0: Bold Jack's description included in the convict record states that he was 5 foot 4 inches with flaxen hair and a brown freckled complexion.
1: Well, for Ireland, brown could mean anything. Uh, Sorry, my uh, heritage is Irish and I'm like so white that I'm nearly (laughs) grey. I'm like kind of a marble tombstone complexion.
0: The ghost of Tara now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm an apparition of myself, but in the current moment.
0: He was later transported to the ship Anne and Amelia. I know it's got two names.
1: That sounds like some very nice sisters. What,
0: What shall we call this ship? I want to call it Anne. Well, I want to call it Amelia. What can't we call it both?
1: Ah, I like their decision-making process. It sounds scientific.
0: So the Anne and Amelia carried 200 male convicts below her decks. 18-year-old Jack kept his head down, or maybe he just got seasick, as it is reported that he was well-behaved on the long, perilous voyage to Australia.
1: How long did it take?
0: Well, I'll tell you that. The Anne and Amelia was at sea for four months.
1: Man, that's a lot of time to be seasick. And I bet they weren't all given oranges, so I'm thinking scurvy. Oh, a
0: lot of scurvy.
1: So much scurvy.
0: And 200 men, I bet they had to cuddle to stay warm.
1: Well, you know, that's nice. I hope some of them made friends.
0: Special friends.
1: Whatever floats your boat.
0: Oh, no. Did mm. you just do Get out.
1: <laughs> all right, headphones off, walking so, out the door.
0: So that Anna and Amelia was at sea for four months before making land at Sydney Cove. With the other convicts, Jack disembarked the vessel and upon being shown his cell at Carter's Barracks in Sydney, Jack remarks sadly, Oh, fuck. A home for life.
1: Oh, no. I hope he knew how to cross-stitch and then he made that like, oh, home, fucking bad home sort of thing to put on his cell wall. Shit in a
0: bucket. Nah. Well, that's probably what he did for four months at sea. Uh, Ah, and
1: also once he was in his cell.
0: Yeah, that's right. During his early imprisonment, he was twice sentenced to 50 lashes as punishment for his mouth.
1: Oh, God. If the internet was allowed to punish me, that would have happened already. (laughs) Which
0: had a way of upsetting the troopers. By 1825, he found himself in the Hunter Valley at Lochnavar, at the estate of Leslie (laughs) Um, What? Leslie who? uh, Dugid.
1: (laughs) That's a nice name.
0: Yeah, let's just call him Leslie Leslie was a young man with money and enough recommendations sufficient to qualify him for a 2,000-acre land grant and convicts to work it. Lucky Leslie.
1: Very lucky Leslie.
0: At some stage, a cottage was erected on the estate, and in July of 1825, when Jack was arriving in the valley, Lucky Leslie's farm was robbed by bushrangers. You're not so fucking lucky now, are you, Leslie?
1: (laughs) I don't know. If they left him alive, he's probably kind of lucky.
0: The notorious Jacobs mob were active in the vicinity at this time and the exploits of Mr Jacobs' Irish Brigade, as the gang were first known, probably impressed newly arrived, Jack.
1: I've got to say, Mr Jacobs' Irish Brigade? That sounds like a kind of band that you'd go see on a Sunday night when you wanted to get a pub meal.
0: Yeah, yeah, with a, with a palmer.
1: <laughs> yeah, a palmer and a pint.
0: Yeah. They were Irish like him and their bravado and daring when they took to the bush after absconding from the properties of nearby settlers – encouraged sympathies among settlers who protected them.
1: Oh, yeah, they were of the people.
0: They were, not in the people.
1: Well, no. I mean, unless the people are into that, that's just not a thing that you do.
0: I'm fine with it. With little to lose, they intimidated the respectable and defied the authorities, Tara. They were badass. They were badass. This amused Jack, and he told his employer as much.
1: I don't think Lucky Leslie would have enjoyed hearing that.
0: Well, Leslie was not impressed with the brash Irish teenager and Jack found himself working on a chain gang.
1: Ah, oh, well, at least the Pretenders wrote that awesome song about him.
0: That, that's a very good song.
1: Back on the chain gang. I really like that song. Is that not your ringtone when I call you?
0: It is, actually, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> the bushrangers of the 1830s were often former convicts rebelling against their harsh treatment. Many had escaped and become known as bolters. Most did not live for very long in the bush, as it was very different from anything they knew and they lacked the skills and knowledge necessary to survive.
1: And a lot of things in this country want to kill you, including drop bears, if you have an accent.
0: Oh man, how many bush rangers are being killed by drop bears?
1: Well, only the foreign ones. Twelve. They didn't attack Ned Kelly.
0: Well, they were all... no, he was kind of Irish. But seeing the bush rangers in action put bold ideas Mm. into bold Jack's head. When Jack first absconded with William Smith and George Kilroy, the small gang did not much resemble Jacob's mob. They were on foot.
1: <laughs> oh, well, that's going to slow you down. And no
0: horses. <laughs> Robbing the slow-moving drays that travelled the potholed roads, the government offered a reward of £20 for their capture. Yes. And, they, and they were very quickly captured. Oh, no. <laughs> Jack and his gang was charged with highway robbery and sentenced to death.
1: Oh, this is going to be a short story.
0: Jack escaped on the day of his hanging. But alas, his bush ranger compatriots did not and dangled on ropes later that afternoon. Mm -hmm. Jack knew he needed fast horses if he wanted to stay alive and continue his outlaw career. He was soon joined with other desperados, Welmsley and Webber, and together they formed a far more formidable gang. Jack and Welmsley first committed highway robbery together in November 1828 when they robbed James Chilcott, who had stopped for water, while on the road to the, to the Hunter River.
1: Did they have horses by then?
0: Yeah, they did. They, yeah, he he got horses.
1: Okay, because that should be like yeah. near the top of your list if you're like, I want to become a bush ranger. You
0: can't rob people on horses and then run away.
1: Well, not well you can't. That's no. why you get caught.
0: Yeah, no, he learned his lesson.
1: Okay, I'm glad to hear that.
0: So Tara, the descriptions were posted in the Sydney Gazette. That's a newspaper. Mm-hmm. One of the men appeared to be an Englishman of about 23 years of age, about 5 foot 5 inches in height, a dark complexion with jet black hair and eyes. He wore, at the time, a blue jacket, velveteen trousers and a black hat.
1: Oh, he sounds well-dressed.
0: The other man is an Irishman, about 25 years of age, about 5 foot 3 inches high.
1: Oh, he lost an
0: inch. With light complexion, almost sandy hair, small eyes and marked with scruffula on the side of his neck. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask. It it sounds like
1: okay. It sounds like a scruffy vampire. Scruffula. Well, that's kind of like house. It's
0: like housemaid's knee, or what is it? Yeah, scruffula is a disease with glandular swellings, probably a form of tuberculosis.
1: Okay, so did he look like a bullfrog? Did he have like really swollen neck glands?
0: Yes, yes, he did.
1: That's hot.
0: Jack was also described as an idiot, an (laughs) undersized specimen with weak eyes.
1: Wow, undersized. Never. Never a word I've heard used in describing me. That
0: sounds like my Tinder profile.
1: (laughs) I'm not going near that. I was going to make a penis joke, but I'm not going to.
0: Oh, my penis is formidable.
1: Yeah, it's monstrous. Monstrous.
0: (laughs) I call it Lil Barney.
1: I thought you'd call it Godzilla.
0: (laughs) After this first success at robbery, they gained confidence. Jack thought his new gang was neat. (laughs) They were each as ugly, desperate and ruthless as the other. They were said to have terrorised travellers and settlers from Sydney to Liverpool and Campbelltown, down to Illawarra to the south, out to Yass and Bathurst in the west and to the Hunter Valley in the north.
1: See how much further you can get when you have horses?
0: No. Mm, Otherwise right. they would
1: have been terrorising the same few blocks in so, a neighbourhood.
0: See, Jack, this is why we needed horses from the start.
1: Yeah, a good point <laughs> taken.
0: Their next quarry was a Mr Clements at the Bulger Road in April 1829, whom they fired upon and mortally wounded. Welmsley committed the deed. Clements had recognised Welmsley as they had both worked at the Hunter River working as sawyers. Like Tom? Uh, Cutting wood, I guess. Okay. I guess that's what a sawyer is. Realising he was made, Welmsley fired the shot which struck him in his cranium. Mm. Ow. Miss both ears. <laughs> what? Is that a thing? <laughs> well, if you're shooting for the ears, you know, miss both ears. It gets you in the head.
1: Oh, that's how you aim. You try and miss both ears.
0: lame ah, joke. Sorry about that.
1: Maybe it was an awesome joke and I'm lame for not getting it.
0: Yeah, that's it. There's
1: a, a parallel universe that might exist. Yeah,
0: let's go with that. Yeah. All right, then. Martin Cash, another renowned bushranger, said in his memoirs, um, he had a different version of events. Oh, i
1: got to say, I love a bushranger with memoirs. They're the best.
0: Oh, by the way, we should do another bloody murder on uh, Martin Cash because he's an interesting fellow. And fly. he
1: has memoirs. And he has
0: memoirs. The Bolger Road ran along a chain of hills for a distance of 100 miles. Mr. Clements, on seeing three armed men some little distance ahead, observed those in his company that he would ride up and capture them. On calling upon them to stand and throw down their arms, they laughed at him, which seemed to put him very much out of temper. And after repeating his command, which they still treated with derision, he took a pistol from his breast pocket. But one of the bushrangers rangers ordered him, You'll be putting that back again. But one of the bushrangers shot him in the head. So that's a kind of a bit of a different story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is indeed. I like the return of Irish Barney.
0: Well, these are Irish bushrangers. Yeah. Well, well, you know, Jack is anyway. In August 1828, Jack and his gang of eight robbed houses south of Bathurst. A police group nearly captured Jack near Goulburn. They shot at the gang and killed a few gang members. But Jack escaped and was not seen for several months. He next appeared in the Nepean River Valley around the towns of Liverpool, Penrith, Parramatta, and Liberty Plains. They also robbed the Reverend Samuel Marsden near Windsor. Oh. The goal, the nerve. Oh. Robbing a man of the
1: cloth. Oh, man of God. Especially if you're Irish. Like, you're going to hell for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jack was now working with a man known as Darky Underwood.
1: Why was he called Darkie?
0: I believe he wore black eyeliner and liked Susie and the Banshee.
1: <laughs> okay, well, that's a better reason than I was imagining.
0: Well, the government now increased the reward to 50 pounds.
1: Ooh, they're mm. stepping up in the world, aren't they?
0: In April 1830, Governor Ralph Darling...
1: Governor Darling. <laughs> <laughs> <That's, yeah. laughs>
0: Oh, darling. Oh, darling, will you will you raise the reward? <laughs> oh, darling,
1: you should totally raise the
0: reward. That's Governor Darling to you. Um, <laughs> made a special law to try and stop bush ranging. The police could arrest anyone, enter and search houses without having to have a warrant.
1: This sounds like some of the anti-terrorism stuff that's gone yeah, down, right?
0: Well, they were terrorists, I guess. And domestic terrorists. Domestic terrorists of their day. There were many stories. Some people said Jack and Darky Underwood had gone to New Zealand. Others said they had been killed by Aborigines. I think they were just on the DL.
1: Yeah, I think they went on the DL hard.
0: (laughs) I like it when you talk like that. Um,
1: (laughs) I bet some people think that was a swear.
0: Throughout these districts, they stole horses and robbed coaches and travellers. On May 22, 1830, they even robbed Charles Stewart's farmhouse.
1: Oh, the explorer.
0: When Jack recognised the famous explorer, he apologised and asked his comrades to stand down. The robbery was called off. Such was Jack's respect for Stuart. We'd be sorry for disturbing your good self, Mr. Stuart. Best of luck with the exploring and all that.
1: <laughs> Did you really he said say- to him. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, my God. Okay, I guess that's why people like bushrangers too. They have, like, this pluck.
0: Yes, they they have a gentlemanly way.
1: They do, although they're a bit like murderous and stuff, so that's not great.
0: Jack and his gang may not have been responsible for all the robberies attributed to them, Tara. Mm. In July 1830, Jack was said to be in the vicinity of the Nepean. However, the Australian reported... That's a newspaper.
1: I know, and it's still going now, so that's been gone a It's a horrible
0: right-wing rag, actually. (laughs) Um, But the Australian in those days, it reported, like many a hero... So,
1: hang on, he's a hero now?
0: Well, according to The Australian. Oh. We suspect Jack Donahue gets the credit for assuming more shapes of doing much more mischief than he ever dreamed or was capable of. Ooh. Now, this is my favourite crime of Jack Donahue. hmm It was a robbery of two elderly tenants named Ho and Dunn near Regentville. And it was attributed to Jack and his gang in September. After tricking the elderly gents into admitting them into the premises, the Bush threatened to kill them with a blunderbuss.
1: A what bus now?
0: That's a, a big gun. Okay.
1: <laughs> blunderbuss. Is that a slang term for it or is it a brand name?
0: No well, no, that's a slang term for it, a strange slang term for I
1: will it. get you with my blunderbuss.
0: It's like a big shotgun, I I I I think. Wow. This is from the police report of Barney Ho, he's an Irish Is that just
1: another name of yours, Barney Ho?
0: No, well... Well, you do
1: put the ho in Barney.
0: I have been called that before.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not (laughs) surprised.
0: One of the robbers was dressed in a blue jacket, dark waistcoat, worn out half boots, white shirt, coloured neckerchief and a black hat about four feet eight or ten inches high.
1: Oh, wow, he really lost some, some height in this report, didn't he? He must have been pissed about that. He
0: had brown hair, nay well featured, but a dark and sallow complexion. With rather a melancholy cast of countenance, he was armed with a blunderbuss and four pairs of pistols secured in a belt under his jacket.
1: <laughs> That's a lot of pistols, especially since one was a blunderbuss. <laughs>
0: The other was a low-set squat man, rather younger, about five foot six inches high, broad face with a scar on his lip or under his left nostril, flaxen hair, complexion between fair and brown, rather freckled. He wore a blue jacket. He had no neckerchief. What? He wore a black hat. <laughs> he was armed with a double bar pistol and three pairs of pistols fastened to a belt around his body under his jacket.
1: Does that mean that he had seven?
0: He had a lot of guns.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. That's like too many guns.
0: You want to hear more uh, of Barney Ho's report to the police? I
1: really enjoy Barney Ho. I would like him to be my constant co-host, please. Barney Ho, short for host. Booyah!
0: (laughs) (laughs) The tall man seated himself on a stool with his back against the door and directed the muzzles of his blunderbuss and his (sighs) double-barreled pistols at myself and my companion, while the least of the robbers secured all the valuables to be found in it, consisting of four hams, some bacon... And some salted pork.
1: Oh, so it really was him that wanted to steal the pigs back in Ireland. <laughs> he sounds like a pig thief. Oh, mate.
0: that was more. 40 pounds of flour, one pound of tea, seven pounds of tobacco. They took a blanket that was covering a little boy then in bed. Huh. Flapdoodle, gibface! face, I'll be catching my death, said the boy. <laughs>
1: he did not. Hang on, wait, wait. Rewind. Flapdoodle, what face?
0: Uh, a flapdoodle is a person who cannot get an erection.
1: Yeah, and what was the face then?
0: Uh, Gib face.
1: What's that? Ah, you just... look like one of the Bee Gees, the Gib brothers. Ah,
0: uh, No, just a stupid face.
1: Okay, so like limp dick fuck face is what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> yeah, limp okay. dick fuck face. All right, cool. Good to know.
0: Barney Ho continues. The robbers then decanted a bottle of rum they brought with them into a tin and with threats of instant death forced myself and Don to drink so freely that the latter became violent. That was when they relieved him of his trousers. <laughs> Then, then tied our hands behind our backs, fastened our knees and ankles, and then bound us back to back. <laughs> okay. What? I love Barney Harley, It's fantastic. I feel
1: like we're in some weird parallel universe, but okay, I like it.
0: The robbers then baked a cake. <laughs> and fried enough pork for their supper. And after regaling themselves, a low squat man piled wood on the fire and too, the blaze was nearly reaching the thatch. That was when old Don entreated them not to burn us alive. This caused the tallest of the robbers to find fault with the cruel intentions of the other, and with a bucket of water he quenched the flames which otherwise, in a few minutes, would have consumed the, the feckin' lot of us.
1: Water in a bucket?
0: With ourselves lashed together and the pantless boy asleep in his bed, the tall robber, who <laughs> appeared to be an Englishman, found fault with the unmerciful disposition of the squat, flaxen-headed robber.
1: I feel like you're going to be like this forever now.
0: <laughs> who spoke broad Irish and blasphemed with murderous threats and all of his actions. I then asked them why they did not attack the house of the swells, where they could get more valuable property. Fusla! They replied what? and said the swells kept bulldogs, and they were well known and, and knew well their fate if they were taken. The tall robber returned the boy his trousers, <laughs> they being too small for him.
1: What's Fusla? That's full. Okay, cool. Um,
0: so they gave the little kid back his trousers.
1: Because they didn't fit the adult men.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> but you've got to remember, Jack Donahue is, is a slight man. He probably wears boys' trousers. He
1: looks he- like a bullfrog and he has tiny legs.
0: And he has- but he's a
1: hero now, apparently.
0: So they returned the boys' trousers, they being too small for him, and left him a portion of pork, flour, tea and sugar for breakfast. And they went off with their bull team.
1: So I guess that's kind of why like they have some respect from the people is that if they rob people they leave them enough food for breakfast.
0: Yeah, it's there. Yeah, they're quite nice. Aren't that's they? a little bit considerate. Yeah. Jack also became known as the stripper because he left his victims with nothing and often tied them naked to a tree.
1: <laughs> okay. Sure. Some
0: reports stated that he tormented his victims and may have burnt one squatter alive.
1: Okay, that's not cool.
0: Not cool, not cool, Jack.
1: Not hero behaviour.
0: So there's a reward of £50 pounds offered for their capture, mm-hmm. as we know, but this was extended to an offer of an absolute pardon and free passage to England or a grant of land.
1: Oh, because they figure like they want to appeal to people who might be a bit like, you know... Other convicts. Yeah, underworldy.
0: Yeah, but still no arrest followed. They had helped Tara.
1: I'm imagining so.
0: Servants on the farm sometimes provided them with information about their masters and at times even provided them with food and shelter. Tara. Barney. Eventually Jack's luck ran out, but Aww. it took the betrayal of a member of his own gang for this to happen.
1: Usually does.
0: The troopers were led through bushland where they discovered Jack and his gobshite gang. <laughs> <laughs> it was the late afternoon of September the 1st, 1830, when the when a detachment of soldiers and police came across the gang in the Bringley Scrub near Campbelltown. During the ensuing swing fight, Jack urged the police to come on using his most insulting and indecent language.
1: Oh, do you please, please, do you have an example?
0: Six horse loads of graveyard clay upon you and may you choke on the devil's cock.
1: <laughs> okay, um, thank you.
0: He was killed by a ball fired by Triple Muggleston. While that pistol ball brought an end to bold Jack Donoghue, the man... It did not end his notorious legacy. Details of Jack's fate were recorded in the Sydney Gazette.
1: Well, that was quite the publication of the day.
0: It really was. This darling marauder has at length been met by that untimely fate which he so long contrived to avoid. On Wednesday evening at dusk, as a party of the mounted police were riding through the bush at Reelby, near Campbelltown, they came across three bush rangers, one of whom was Jack Donahue. On being... Called upon to stand, they threw away their hats and shoes and ran off.
1: Well, they would have just weighed them down, those hats and shoes.
0: When the police fired and killed Donahue on the spot, one ball entering his neck and another his forehead. That'll do it. Favoured by the dusk, the others made their escape, and in defiance of the dreadful fate of their comrade, that very night broke into a hut and carried off what they wanted.
1: Probably just more pork and tobacco and booze, right?
0: Yeah, probably. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, the guys have sort of a taste for certain things.
0: The body of Jack Donahue was removed to Liverpool and will be brought to Sydney this morning. Thus is a colony rid of one of the most dangerous spirits that ever infested it.
1: I feel like the colony was infested by a lot of dangerous spirits if you read your Australian history.
0: The people of Sydney should take disposition to take warning of by his awful fate. What? Yeah, I watch
1: know. out, guys! Don't be a bush ranger.
0: Yeah, not cool.
1: Not cool. Well, call it,
0: yeah. An <laughs> inquest was performed on the body of Jack by Major Smithman, the coroner, at the Fox and Hound in Castle Street, Sydney.
1: And is that a pub?
0: Yeah, they put him on the uh, table on the pool the table. <laughs> <laughs> Probably on the pool table. <laughs>
1: right, and they did the autopsy.
0: And they did. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, he's been shot. Look what? at that! It's a bullet hole in his head and in his neck. So he's,
1: he's dead Everyone's there for Palmer night and then they just like no. watch the autopsy I guess it's better than no. karaoke Trivia
0: night is being cancelled <laughs> uh, We're all going to have a look at the body of Bol Jack
1: Right, okay um, What
0: well, do you reckon, he's dead?
1: Well, I think being shot in the neck and the forehead would probably do that
0: Well, later on that night they made a plaster of Paris cast of his face
1: What did they do with it?
0: Uh, it's in a museum somewhere. I've got photos of it.
1: Oh, I want to see. I want to know if he really looked like a bullfrog.
0: He kind of did. Yeah. A little one. A little one. He was a little one.
1: A little bush ranger was a bullfrog.
0: Have you ever heard of Sir Thomas Mitchell? Yes. He's quite an artist. He uh, made a pencil drawing of the body of Jack Donahue as he lay in the morgue. Ooh. Do you, do in you, later. Have you seen that? I have. I'll, I want to see that too. I'll put that up in our Facebook group. Excellent. A product of the times, Jack was defiant, brutal, very dangerous, short and kind of ugly. (laughs) In death, he was tall and handsome. His deeds were glamorised and exaggerated."
1: Yeah, they did that with Bushrangers, though.
0: Ordinary folks envied his apparent charmed life, and with the help of the press of the day, the name Jack Donoghue passed into Australian folklore.
1: He had the opposite of a charmed life. He was a convict since he was a teenager, oh, yeah. but, you know, they write songs. They've got to put something in them, he right? He had
0: a pretty shitty life, yeah, actually. Yeah,
1: sounds terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah. The ballad Bold Jack Donoghue and the Wild Colonial Boy. Yeah, that rings a slight know, bell. People know that. Uh, I think um, John English might have done a version of that oh, once. He so would have. Old oh, Black Eyes. Old oh, Black Eyes. Uh, was once banned in Sydney taverns, came to represent an enduring popular perception of bushrangers in Australia. Yeah, it did. He was admired by many for his bold stance and defiant attitude to authorities. Despite his notoriety, Jack had great confidence in his ability to avoid capture, as well as in the stupidity of the authorities. He often went where he pleased, <laughs> oh. even riding into Sydney on one occasion to enjoy a couple of bottles of ginger beer. The gall. The gall. But what of the rest of the gang, you asked Tara?
1: I was wondering, but Don't I get ask a feeling, it. Ask bl- it. what about the rest of the gang? Did they all get shot or hanged? Yes. Okay, good Wellmsley
0: to <laughs> was shot and killed soon after. Mm -hmm. Gang member Bill Webber was caught and hanged, and Darkie, our favourite... Oh, Darkie! Darkie darkie. Underwood later became a drummer in Susie and the Banshees. I'm
1: so glad things turned out well for Darkie. I liked his eyeliner.
0: But was shot and killed in
1: 1832. Oh, there's a time machine sort of deal if ever you needed one.
0: At the time of Jack's death, a Toby Ryan recalled how he'd boiled a billy with Jack.
1: Ah, that's when you make tea.
0: Hmm when, as a 15-year-old, he was out looking for cattle near Lynn Lando in New South Wales. And this is a quote from him. Mm-hmm. Donahue was the most insignificant-looking creature imaginable, and it seems strange that such as he was able to keep a country in terror for eight years. He was attired in a velveteen coat and a blue nankeen shirt with a heart worked on the breast in white cotton.
1: They love talking about what these guys are wearing. It's really kind of... Like, it it's seems like, weird to me. They well, keep talking about their clothes.
0: Have you ever read um, American Psycho?
1: No, I have not. There's
0: a lot of descriptions of fashion and really there long are. descriptions. I've
1: read a lot of other Brad Easton Ellis, though.
0: Yeah, and I, I, the, I stand by him. And same are the Game of Thrones books. There's a lot of descriptions of what they're eating and what they're wearing. Yeah, I'm not going to read that. Yeah. At the time of his death, a Sydney tradesman fashioned a line of clay smoking pipes, the bowls of which were moulded to resemble Jack Donahue's head, bullet hole and all.
1: (laughs) That's kind of ingenious.
0: Well, I want to smoke some tobacco, but I want to smoke it in a pipe that's shaped like a bush ranger's head. Now, I'll finish this with uh, a line from um, The Wild Colonial Boy. Mm -hmm. Uh, As he closed his mournful eyes, he bid the world adieu, saying convicts all pray for the soul of bold Jack Donahue.
1: Well, I guess he was a convict hero, and the convicts were treated so terribly that this whole situation kind of like got developed from both ends. It if really they did. weren't being treated so badly, they wouldn't have become bushrangers. So. It's still
0: part of Australian culture. This is why people love Chopper.
1: Yeah, you know? he's absolutely like a bushranger. Yeah. What a rollicking and deadly journey that was, with so much velvet.
0: That was fun. It was,
1: it was quite ridiculous, but li- that's like, our heritage.
0: I like doing bushrangers.
1: Yeah, they are pretty cool.
0: Hey, Tara, mm-hmm. um, I, I've heard about this thing called Aussie Az. What the fuck is it? Tell me what it is and give me one.
1: Aussie Az, a tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one?
0: No, not particularly. Uh, well, no, 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 actually- suck it up, princess,
1: because <laughs> we are gonna. All right. um, so this one was suggested to me by Jen Jen Rosie Dawson, whose name might be familiar because she has provided me with a few leads on this. And if anyone listening out there notices like a funny story that could be in Aussie ads, please send them
0: through because I always need them. You have a researcher. Where's my researcher?
1: Oh, I don't know. I have people message me constantly with ideas and, and I appreciate each and every one of them. Yeah, lovely. So a builder who suffered the agony of a venomous spider bite to the penis... Has suffered another strikingly similar misfortune. Really? Really. Jordan, we'll call him Jordo, he actually refuses to give his last name because, well, you wouldn't, would you?
0: No, I guess not.
1: No, you wouldn't. Uh, he was first bitten on his penis by a redback spider when using a building site Portaloo in April 2016. Five months later, he was bitten on pretty much the same spot by what we assume was a different spider or one who hates him or loves his cock.
0: Oh, maybe the spiders all get together and talk. You know that Jordan guy. The boss Let's says, if you see that thing dangling there, you should bite it. <laughs> Let's get him. Let's get him. So Jordo said,
1: I'm the most unlucky guy in the country at the moment. I was sitting on the toilet, doing the business, and just felt the sting that I felt the first time. I was like, I can't believe it's happened again. I looked down and I've seen a few little legs. Come around from around the rim? He said that being bitten the first time had made him wary of using portable
0: toilets. Well, why?
1: Well, I don't know. Maybe he's not into it. After the first time it happened, I really didn't want to use one again, he said. The toilets got clean that day and I thought it was my opportunity to go use one. Had a look under both seats, then I sat down, did my business... Next thing you know, I'm bent over in pain.
0: Hey, hey baby, everybody likes a spider head job, but can you just use a little bit less teeth? (laughs) Less fangs, baby.
1: (laughs) The tradesman said he was not sure what type of spider bit him this time. One of his workmates took him from the building site in northwest Sydney to Blacktown Hospital. Although many of his workmates were too busy pissing themselves laughing to be of much assistance.
0: Well, I bet he wasn't pissing for a while.
1: No. Oh they got worried the first time, Jordo said. This time they were making jokes before I was getting in the car. But the piss taking didn't stop when Jordo got to the hospital, Barney. No. Nah, he said, Oh the doctors and nurses were just laughing pretty much. Well, what about your hippopotamus oaf? They said they remembered me from last time Jordo <laughs> oh, Jordo was released from hospital and said he expected to return to work soon, but was incredibly unlikely to be using a portaloo again. Oh I think I'll just be holding on for dear life, to be honest.
0: Yeah, wow, that's um that Paul Jordo can't, can't yeah.
1: take a poo or a wee in a toilet at I just, work.
0: I just noticed I got my hands over my junk just you totally about did. it. <laughs>
1: You're guarding your junk.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that could be deadly, you know. It's, uh, uh, well,
1: with the red back it could be, although yeah, no yeah. one's actually died from that since the invention of anti-venom very long ago. Um, so, hmm. yeah, it's not as deadly as people think.
0: Yeah, that's good. I so guess. you
1: should totally get yourself a cock bite and get back to me.
0: So here we are, Tara. Thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you would like to support us, visit our website or if you just want to buy us a drink, there's a PayPal donate button there too. There's also a link to our fabulous merch store.
1: So much good stuff.
0: I've been Barney Hall and also Barney Black.
1: <laughs> and I've just been plain old boring Tara Sarah: Oh, don't say that. It's okay. I've never been boring.
0: I wish. OMG, we just did some bloody murder. <laughs>
1: Please don't forget to review us
0: on iTunes. And, of course, rate and subscribe. It does really help us.
1: Now, join our Facebook group, Bloody Murder Podcast.
0: Follow us on Twitter and Snapchat and Insta.
1: All that stuff.
0: Check out our website, Bloody Murder Podcast, for news galleries, more episodes and merchandise.
1: Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week.
0: Goodbye and adios.
1: And keep kicking against the pricks.